So today we continue our study of the book of Romans. Uh, dangerous faith seems to be a theme that's come out of the book of Romans. So uh, when we talk about dangerous faith, I just want to remind everyone it's dangerous faith not to people, but to the sin and the brokenness and the despair that's in the world that, that just crushes people's lives. And we've all experienced those kind of things. And so we want to have dangerous faith so that we can share uh, the love of Christ and the good news of Christ so that others can experience that and come out from under sin and brokenness and despair. And so we're in chapter 8 today, uh, page 944. You can turn there in the book of Romans. Last week, uh, while we were gone, uh, Alex Harth helped us uh, move into chapter 8. He uh, shared a message about Romans 8, 1 through 11. And I want to repeat two verses and uh, a key point that, that uh, Alex shared. The first is this. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's an awesome verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And then at the end of the passage, uh, Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, so that's God, so if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, which it does if you're a follower of Christ, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so Alex uh, said this at the end of his message, when we allow the Holy Spirit to clothe our entire existence, not only will we then have faith that is dangerous, but we'll have the Spirit in us, and we'll have eternal life. And so this is what he talked about last week. Uh, he challenged us to take off the camouflage of the flesh. He showed some cool pictures of lizards, right? Am I right? I didn't see him, but I heard about him on the, on the uh, podcast. So he challenged us to take off the camouflage of the flesh and be vividly visible as we live out our faith in Jesus. So we don't want to be camouflaged in our culture. We want to be vividly visible as followers of Christ with dangerous faith, extending grace and love and mercy to the people around us who are being crushed by the junk in their lives. So this leads us to the passage today. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 30. And uh, we're going to have uh, Becky Steffens come on up and she's going to read those verses for us. So the Word of God, listen intently, the most important part of our worship service. Come on up, Becky. Greetings, church family. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who have been led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back to fear, but you have, have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to the Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God 
and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subject, subjected in it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he pre predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those that he justified, he glorified. So Paul tells, uh, uh, tells us that everyone who's led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God because they received the spirit of adoption. So what is the spirit of adoption all about? What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? So Betsy and I, my amazing wife Betsy and I, uh, we have six children. And three, our three youngest, Ted, Naomi, and Leanna, were adopted. Naomi and Leanna were infants when they were adopted, and Ted was uh, five and a half years old when he was adopted. And uh, this is a picture of... Uh, Naomi's uh, adoption certificate. And the language of this certificate is, is like parallels the message of the gospel. And so I want to kind of use the adoption certificate in connection with the passage that was just read by Becky. So first, the fact that there is a, an adoption certificate means that there was an orphan who needed to be adopted. So that means once upon a time, there was a little girl who had no parents, no family. She was an orphan. And the picture, please. Ah, there she is. That was Naomi in the hospital uh, very soon after she was born. We called her Mr. T for a while. 
And she already, she was like Jesus number one. Yeah. But she was an orphan, and that's why there's an adoption certificate. Now, today, in the world, there are 26 million orphans, children with no mother and no father to care for them. In the U.S., 400,000 children are currently in the foster care system. Over 100,000 are eligible for adoption. And each year, this is staggering, each year 23,000 children age out of the foster care system. So growing up as an orphan, uh, all the studies show can have serious uh, effects on your cognitive, your emotional, your physical development, your relationship abilities. And as I was doing a little research, I found this fact that kind of sums it up. This is startling. 80% of the U.S. prison population are people who at one point in their childhood were, were in the foster care system. 80%. That doesn't mean 80% of people who were in the foster care system ended up in prison. Don't don't mix that up. But 80% of the people in prison spent some amount of time as a child in the foster care system. So growing up as an orphan uh, is a life really no one wants to live. In the physical world, an orphan is someone who does not have any parents. In the spiritual world, An orphan is a person who's separated from God. Paul, the writer of Romans, tells us that life as a spiritual orphan is no life at all. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live separated from God, you will die. If you live for yourself, you won't experience the life that God has for you. And as we study, we've studied the book of Romans to this point, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, all of us, at some point, were orphans, spiritually separated from God. And in chapter 6, it says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So being a spiritual orphan leads to spiritual death. And so every human begins life as a spiritual orphan, separated from God, and life separated from God is no life at all. Now, on Naomi's adoption certificate, it says these words. It says, a petition for an order of adoption was filed. What that means is for Naomi, Betsy and I filed paperwork saying we want to adopt a child. And in verse 12, in verse 12, Paul points to the petition for the order of adoption that God filed for us. He says we are debtors. And what does that mean? Debtors to who? Not debtors to the flesh as spiritual orphans, but debtors to Christ for what he did on the cross. So when Jesus went to the cross, he was filing a petition for our adoption. He was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them so that you can adopt them. So while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now on Naomi's birth uh, not birth certificate, her adoption certificate, it also says this, all necessary orders terminating parental rights 
have been entered. On the cross, Jesus terminated all rights that sin and death have on us. He paid for our sins. And so our past as spiritual orphans is paid for. So we have this choice. Remain an orphan or surrender to Jesus so we can be adopted into his family. So we have this choice, right? Be an orphan or surrender to Jesus and be adopted into his family. Now Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now some people would say, is Jesus really the only path to God? That seems so exclusive in our culture of inclusivity. That Jesus would say, I'm the only way. But when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, he wasn't saying, don't try other pathways that man have cre- has created. You know, he's like not selling himself, like pick me, like you go buy, to buy a car, right? The, per- the salesperson's like, oh, this is the car just for you. It's made just for you. It's your car, right? That's what they do. Maybe some of them. So Jesus isn't doing that. He's not trying to sell himself. I'm better than this religion or I'm better than that religion. What he's saying is there's no one else coming for you. When he says you can only get to God through me because there's no one else coming for you. There is no other God. This religion, that religion, man's way of trying to get to God. But Jesus says, the only way to God is through me. No one else is coming for you. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else is coming for you. So we either surrender to him and are adopted into God's family, or we live as orphans. There's no other option there's no other god no one else is coming for you no one else is coming for us so jesus has paid for our past as spiritual orphans and there's no one else coming for us there's only one who can adopt us there's no one else coming to adopt us Now, what difference does physical adoption make for a child? I have a short video to show you some of the kids, uh, children who've been adopted um, are going to tell their story. Let's watch. Well, in autumn foster care, I was like not doing so good in school. And then now, since I'm adopted, I'm like making A's and B's. They immediately took notice of what our problem was, and they let us stay in counseling, and they gave us the support and things that we needed to make it through. I wasn't used to having a mom want, um, want a mom wanted to be so close to me all the time, want to take care of me, because I'm so used to taking care of myself. And family I have now, 
um, I feel more, I think the reason it worked was because my, my mom now helped me with um, getting to trust me and helping me to trust her. We did things and she never pressured me into doing anything. And if I wanted to talk, she always told me, if you want to talk, I'm always open. And I got to trust her and I can talk to her about anything now. It's very important for you to have an adoptive home because you know like when you're 18, the uh, foster care kicks you out of the system and then you're on your own. But when you get adopted before then you have a family and you don't have to worry about that so much and you won't have to be stressed and you know they can't bounce you around and you won't end up in a bad home like the homes they have for kids now that people don't want. And so it's like I find it very important because it's like something every kid wants go home and to a mother and father and just to have somebody to spend time with and talk to. You know, it's just nice knowing that um, there's people out there who care for you and they'll, out of the goodness of their heart, um, adopt you so you could have a chance at life, a chance of success. You know, knowing that there's somebody there who will love you and care for you. I mean, it's always good to have a feeling of relief, hope. Well, knowing that the parents do love you as their own and all the other kids being nice to you and letting you come into their family and really loving you and caring for you, it's just kind of like, I do feel loved and I feel like I'm supposed to be here. They won't give up on you. No matter what you do, they'll still stay there for you. And that just made, made, made me feel that somebody actually cared for me. It was like walking into the courtroom and realizing you're going to be a part of this family forever. And then just hearing, just hearing, just seeing him sign it, just like, was like, wow, I can't believe that I'm actually going to stay here permanently. I thought when I got adopted that, like, it's a new beginning. Like, all the stuff I did in foster care are done. Now I, I have a new one, a second chance in life. So when a child is adopted, I loved what he said. It, that's the gospel, right? What I did in foster care is done. And now I have a new life, a new beginning, a second chance. In the adoption world, the, the family that adopts a child uh, is called a forever family. A Naomi's <clears throat> certificate, it says... The adoption of the adoptee, so that's her, by petitioner, that's us, all the legalese, right? So uh, the adoption of the adoptee by petitioner is desirable and in the best interest of the adoptee. Our spiritual adoptions by God the Father through believing, trusting faith in Jesus are in our best interests. So what does God do to adopt us? So Jesus the Son, so Jesus the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus the Son on the cross, he paid for our past as spiritual orphans so that sin and death no longer had parental rights, if you will, but now God did. 
and it's finished. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And then the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus so we can put our faith, our believing, trusting faith in Jesus. And then God the Father adopts us. So let me give you a kind of a, a theological sounding definition for spiritual adoption. So spiritual adoption is God's gracious act of including us as members of his family, sons and daughters in his household with all the rights and privileges of our new re relationship with him. So when God adopts us, he gives us new life and a forever family. Now, when Betsy and I talk about the adoption of Ted and Naomi and Leanna, it's always past tense. They were adopted. That's in the past. Now, when, when we look at a family photograph and we don't see three biological kids and, and three adopted kids, we just see our six children. When God adopts us, the adoption is in the past. And we're forever his children. It is finished. And on Naomi's adoption certificate, it also says this. It is ordered that from and after this date, the parents of the adoptee are Tim and Betsy French. She's just our kid now. Not our adopted kid. When God adopts us, it's finished. God orders that from and after the moment you are adopted, you are his child. The child of the living God. Something that, that's said in our culture, maybe around the world, is we're all God's children. And that's really not true. Only those that are adopted into his family are his children. He wants everyone to be his children. But until a person surrenders to Jesus and, and makes themselves available for adoption, they can't be adopted. And then also when God adopts us, he makes us co-heirs with Jesus. We all have an inheritance. It's called the kingdom of God. I can't really comprehend this, that, that my inheritance is the kingdom of God. That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? That's a big place. So you think about it. How does that even work? How can all of us have the same inheritance, the kingdom of God? Right? In, in our culture today, when, when, when parents pass away, so many times families like destroy themselves fighting over their parents' inheritance. But for us, we don't have to fight over it because we all get the same inheritance. So let's do some math, okay? A math lesson, okay? So heaven, the, the kingdom of God is infinite, amen? Infinite. So if you defy, def, divide an infinite number by any other number, what does it equal? Infinity. See how that math works? Six billion divided into infinity is infinity. A hundred billion divided into infinity is infinity. So I don't understand it, but that's awesome. I get an inheritance called the kingdom of God, and so do you. So does Eli back there. 
so does Wendy, so does Anna. We all get the kingdom of God. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All right, so God, when he adopts us, he makes us co-heirs with Jesus. So what does this mean for us that we were adopted as followers of Christ, we were adopted into God's family? Paul tells us that it means something for our future, but also for our present. So our future, he says, will be beyond our imagination. We can't even grasp how amazing our future in eternity with God will be. In verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our future is going to be amazing. Have you ever done something that required some level of suffering so that your future would be better? Anybody? Anybody go to school? <sighs> right? You, you suffer, you work really hard, and, but you do it for a better future, right? You work really hard, you get a job that will pay the bills. Or perhaps you have a health problem and you go through surgery and chemotherapy and radiation so you can recover your health, right? You go through a period of suffering so that your future is better. Or perhaps you humble yourself and you go through the suffering of seeking counsel and, and figuring out how you need to make changes in your life when, when your life is falling apart so that your future is better than your present. Well, when we are adopted into God's family and we're given a certain hope about our future, it's because Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered so that we could have a better future. He went to the cross. He paid for our sins so that we could have a better future as a child of God, as children of God. So we would eagerly await our future, Paul says. So our future is going to be amazing. And in verse 23, Paul says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, does that mean that when we surrender our life to Christ, we're not adopted yet, but we're only adopted when we, our bodies die and we go to heaven? No, when we're adopted by God, we're adopted. But it's final when we enter into eternity with him. Let me show you what I mean. On the left is a picture of Leanna. That's our youngest amazing blessing. That was the day she arrived from Korea. That was the day she was welcomed into our family. And I tell you that uh, she was adopted at that moment. You would have to have killed me. Well, you still would have to kill me, literally, to take her out of our family. She was all ours. But the picture on your right is at the courthouse when her adoption was final. It was already final for us, but for everyone else, it was final when we went to the courthouse a year, 18 months later, and signed the paperwork. So our adoption by God is present, and it's also future. 
So we are adopted by God, and now we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies when we will be with God in heaven. We're, we're eager about that future. Right? We should be. It's going to be amazing. Man, someday we're going to be with God in all His glory. It's going to be amazing. But that seems so far away. We'll talk about today in a moment. But uh, the other day I was uh, following a school bus that was picking up kids. Are you kidding me? I had to follow, not like not one stop. I don't know. It was like every street on this road for miles and miles. It seemed like forever, right? And so I was not doing what I should have done. I was getting frustrated. And, but I noticed at this one stop, the, as the bus was pulling up, there were these two girls, two little girls, and it was cold, and they were just at the end of the driveway, but they were like, whoa, the bus is coming, the bus. And they're like, I mean, they're like this, like racers, like, I can't wait to get on the bus. And the bus driver, you know, gave them the, the sign, and they tore onto that bus. They were so excited about their future, their future day at school. They weren't excited about being in the cold at the end of their driveway, you know, just two sisters. They, they weren't excited about that. They were excited because they were going to go into their future. They were excited about their future day at school. When we understand that we have this certain hope for our future, that it's going to be amazing, we can, in our present circumstances, find joy and peace and energy, and excitement for the day. How many of you, when, when the, you walked out of the house and saw all that beautiful white stuff, went, woohoo! I have a future hope in Christ. Or you went, are you kidding me? <laughs> it snowed when I wasn't looking. That's what I did. The garage door opened, and I had all my stuff, and I'm like, really? <laughs> then I'm like, Sunday, let's go. All right. So, but we can, right? If we keep in mind our future hope, today can be amazing. Not because, you know, today could be really rotten for you. It's really hard. Bill and Karen Thompson, I mean, you know, it doesn't get any harder than that. And yet you talk to them and because they're looking to the future, the future hope that they have. They're sad, but they're joyful. They're struggling, but they're faithful. We know that this present time is not worth comparing to our future. And so we wait with eagerness. And we also wait with patience. Paul says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. Do you hope for what you see? Think about that for a moment. Do you hope for what you see? I was talking to someone the other day about politics, and uh, they said to me, the rich don't pay their fair share of taxes. Jeff Bezos should pay more taxes so we can have free, uh, free college. See, they were hoping for what they could see. Jeff Bezos, he's got a lot of money. 
I'm hoping to have some of it. Right? That's hoping for what you can see. You guys tracking with me? Okay, I'm not being political here, but, you know, are you hoping for what you could see? What we can see is no hope at all because it's already happened. That person was hoping to get someone else's money, but it's already happened. And when we hope in what has already happened, we get impatient because it isn't going to happen because it already has happened. Paul says if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. So when we trust God with our future, our tomorrows, and our eternity, when we trust God with our tomorrows and our eternity, we can walk with patience. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We will don't know what will happen in a year. We don't know what will happen in 10 years, but we know what will happen ultimately. And we will be with the Lord in all his glory and have an amazing eternity with him. And so we can be eager for that, but we can also be patient for that. So on the bad days, I'm eager because of what God is going to do. And so I can find joy even in the difficulties. And I can be patient. So when I, next time I get behind a bus picking up children, I will be more patient because I had to prepare this message from Romans 8, chapter 12. No, I get to prepare this message for Romans 8, 12 through 30. But I have to admit, there are days when I'm not like those two little girls, ready to step into the future, ready to have an amazing day no matter what's going on around me. Instead, I can get overwhelmed by my present circumstances, by the circumstances of the people that I love. And so I can, rather than be like those two little girls, eager and patient to step into the future, I just want to eat a bowl of ice cream and take a nap. You feel what I'm saying? Amen? And God gets that. He gets the human condition. He gets our weakness. And it says, Paul says, that he will help us, the Spirit will help us in our weakness. Even when we don't know what to pray, he prays for us. Even when we're distant and disconnected from him, the Holy Spirit keeps that connection alive. We're part of God's forever family even in our weakness. And now, this next thing I want to say is probably the best part. Because in your present circumstances, God is at work on your behalf. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things... All things, how many things is that? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So does that mean that our lives will go the way we want them to? No. What it means is that God, who's all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present, is working all things for good. Let me give you an example that changed my life, changed um, my wife's life, changed my family's life. 
So when um, my wife's amazing, where'd she go? Oh, she went to get the she went to get the the food for discovering KCF. So she's amazing, and uh, but she made a really big mistake when we were in the process of adopting Naomi. So in the process, you have to gather you know a gazillion pieces of paper, documents, stamped, all that stuff, and so we got all that together into a packet. She takes it to the post office, puts it in the mail, goes into the mail. And several weeks later, we're like, man, we haven't heard anything. We, she contacts the adoption agency. The agency says, uh, she says, what, what's going on? They said, well, we're waiting for your packet. And Betsy's like, well, I sent it weeks ago. And they're like, never got it. So they're like, oh, crud. So we get all that paperwork back together. She takes it to the post office, mails it, said it's on its way. They get it a few days later. Off it goes to Korea. And so what happens in Korea, we didn't adopt Naomi specifically. When the packet gets to Korea, in Korea they go, okay, here's a packet. Here's a child. They put the two together, and that's the child you adopt. And so the second packet got there, and they connected that packet with Naomi and but here's the rest of the story so the rest of the story is a few weeks after we sent the second packet the first packet comes back to us returned by the US Postal Service I don't know why it took weeks but no dig on them um, and we're like yeah what happened and Betsy looks at it and she goes I never put the city or the state or the zip code on the packet so like, how could that have happened? And I'm like, yeah, how could that have You're way, way better than that. You never make those kind of mistakes. And all we can think of is God's timing. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about trusting God's timing? So God took a moment in Betsy's life, scrambled her brains just for a moment, so she didn't write that down, took it to the post office, scrambled the postmaster's brain just a little bit, uh, so she wouldn't notice that there was no city, state, or zip code, because this is really important, all kinds of stamps on it, but no city, state, or zip code. And God did that because Naomi, when she was born, she was born premature, had to go into the hospital for several weeks. She was not available for adoption. And so God's timing, when that second packet arrived, she was available and she became our daughter. And she clearly is our daughter. Since the beginning of time, God ordained her to be our daughter. But if that first packet had gone, she wouldn't be. And so, so you say, well, okay, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God worked that so his sovereign will would happen. And that's what Romans 8 28 means. So God is at work in our lives in ways that we do not know. But what we do know is that God has adopted us. He has given us a, a certain and amazing hope for a future. And he's at work in our lives and he calls us according to his purpose. Whereas children with a certain future, 
and he calls us to live on purpose. I just want to close with two thoughts about living on purpose. Here's the two things I think we should focus on as we live on purpose for God. One is this, reach out with God's great love. Reach out with God's great love. And number two, journey together as a church family toward a deeper faith in Jesus. Reach out with God's love, his great love, and journey together toward a deeper faith in Jesus. And then let God work in our lives. When we live on purpose, our faith will be dangerous and other people will be drawn to Jesus as he works in us and through us. So let's pray. And as we pray, I just want you to think about these two questions. Have you been adopted into God's family? No one else is coming for you. There's only one true God. And so if you haven't been adopted into his family, but you want to be, just tell him, tell Jesus, I give you my life. I want to be adopted. And Lord, help us reach out with your great love. Help us live on purpose. Help us journey together toward a deeper faith in you. Lord, use us to help others find you so they can be adopted into your family. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now. And for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www dot kurtlandchristian dot o r g